Welcome to The Dental Brief, the world's direct, right-to-the-point podcast produced to get you the information you need to learn and grow your practice. To learn more about our guests and find links to information discussed on our show, visit our website, dentalbrief.com. On to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Dental Brief. I have with us today the Dental Mavericks. Say hello, Dr. Tuan Pham. Hey there. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. I'm doing well, too. You know, we were just talking a few minutes before we started recording. It's snowy up here. You're down in Austin. Weather's not so bad down there. Um, You know, let's just jump right into our podcast, right? So, um, like I said, you're the Dental Maverick. Website's dentalmaverick.com. Why don't you start, before you tell us how you got labeled the Dental Maverick, why don't you go ahead and and start by telling me how'd you get into dentistry? What made you become a dentist? Well, you know, it's funny. People ask me that, and I think back in college, the brief story is like, I had 80 hours. All I wanted to do in college was drink, party, have fun. I got good grades, but I had 80 hours. And uh, my advisor was like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. And she told me, you better figure it out. And I remember telling her very distinctly, I was like, I will give you two weeks and I will come back and I will tell you exactly what I'm going to do. And in the meantime, I uh, thought about what I wanted and I really didn't want to work on Fridays. That was a priority goal in my life when I was a younger person. And I was like, who does that? my dentist. I I came back in two weeks and I said, Hey, I'm going to dental school. I'm going to prepare for this DAT test. And the rest is history. So you went to dental school, you got out of dental school. Then what happened? Well, I just like anybody, uh, I was happy to be in the real world, uh, working my first job. I worked for a very nice private practice fee for service office when I was younger. Uh, and so, uh, I didn't really have any, uh, ideas of what life was, you know, I got paid my first job, doesn't seem like much now, but I got paid $83,000. That's more money than I ever thought I would ever have because I was a poor college student, poor dental student, and that just seems so much to me. Sure. And then, but, yeah. But it's $83,000. Obviously, times have changed a little bit. But, you know, I'm looking at you. I know our audience can't see you. You don't look that old by any means. I'm 42. 42, yeah. Okay. So I would have had you a little bit younger than that. Um, so you started your own practice eventually, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that said practice that I was talking about, uh, very nice practice. They told they asked me if I wanted to buy it, but hey, being a young person, looking at the numbers, I, I those numbers were unimaginable to me to buy a practice. It just didn't make sense I, because I didn't know what I knew now, okay? And so uh, one day I was working and they sold the practice and they told me, hey, I, you're gonna, you're, you're, we're, we're going to be transitioning over and so you're out of a job. And, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I mean, that was a big event for me, you know. I've never lost a job, never been fired from a job or terminated from a job. And, you know, in that moment, I remember being very upset. But, of course, when I look back, I think that's one of the best uh, events to happen in my life because it got me on this path. I started to think about what I wanted. And what I wanted is security to control my destiny to do whatever I want. And I thought about my career. I'm like, how can I do that? That doesn't mean, you know, working as an associate. It means you need to own something and be successful at it so you can do whatever you want. And the rest is, uh, uh, you know, history. So I know you mentioned security, and I wonder if that's also a little bit of like just being in like control, right? I know someone who who was a pilot who became a pilot because he literally was afraid of flying, right? And the reason why he was afraid of flying is he wasn't in control. 
right? So it was a matter of, hey, if we're going to crash, I want to be the ones behind the wheel. Did you feel like that a little bit? If you're going to crash, you want to be behind the wheel? Of course, because, uh, you know, as a business owner, you have the ability to make the decisions. You know, uh, I'm a fan of research and knowledge. So whatever decisions I like to do, I put a lot of depth and thought into it. And I always think about every scenario, include the bad, the good, the bad. And I replay the, the outcomes in my head. And from there, if I want to enact something, I do. But for sure, you know, uh, I like control. Most dentists are nerdy. We're, many of us are introverts. We've been trained in school to follow systems, guidelines, do everything repeatedly. So we like the control. It brings us comfort. Yeah. So let me... Let me tell you this little quick story real quickly. And normally I don't do something like this on the show, but years ago I got paired up on a golf course. I went and walked down on a golf course, got paired up with a guy and started talking to him and asked him, you know, he's asked, what do you do? What have you? And he said he was an actuary. And, you know, I told him what I did. And he just said like next golf hole. He said, you know what? I can't believe anyone would ever start their own business. He's like, it's the dumbest thing on the planet to do. He's like the failure rate. And he's an actuary, right? So he's going based yeah. on numbers. He's like the failure rate is through the roof. And, you know, in most businesses, that's totally true. And in dentistry, that's not been true, right? I mean, every oh, you, you yeah. seldom see a dental practice fail. It's really, really rare. It does happen. Um, you know, one thing it doesn't get talked about on social media. Nobody goes on, on Facebook and goes, oh, hey, guess what? I just crashed my dental practice and, you know, drove it into the ground. You don't see that comment, right? So people don't think it ever happens, but it does happen, just not that often. But we do see a lot of practices that are, as far as business is concerned, are successful, but yet you have dentists who are running this business who don't feel successful. You see that happen often? Yeah. You know, uh, success is relative. You know, I think like with anything, your life, your business, you should be intentional about what you want. Uh, I meet enough dentists that don't really think about what they want, you know, meaning that ask them, hey, what do you want in your personal or business life next year or five years from now? Most people are like, I don't know. I just want to be more successful and maybe make a little more money. So success is relative, you know. I think people should define what they want, you know. Uh, for business, it can be income. It could be flexibility. It could be time off. It could be a schedule where you get to drop your kids off at school and pick them up. Whatever you want. Yesterday, I saw a meme on, on a popular dental channel, and it was, I forget what two Star Wars characters. I think it was Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, and one said, like, fee for service, and the other said, like PPO and like they're fighting it out. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like arguing about which is yeah. better. You should do one and, and basically fighting with each other about this. And of course you run your business, however you want to business, however you want to run it. But right now there's, there is more conversation than ever about dropping PPO. There just has to be pros and cons to this, right? It's not that cut and dry. Is it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, every form of business has the pros and cons. You can be successful in any form of business that you want to well, let me rephrase it. You, you have the potential to be successful in any form of business that you want to. Uh, but the first thing you should recognize is understand the business model, understand the pros, how to be successful in that business, and then also take a look at yourself and know your strengths, okay? Someone can be in a PPO office. They can be extremely successful. That game is based on volume. It's based on number of procedures done, number of patients done. It's based on time. And there are some people that can be extremely efficient. If you are an extremely efficient person and you know how to know the other game of the rule and you know how to bill insurance very properly, yes, you can be very successful with PPOs. But the problem currently with that is there's a limitation that is a wall to for most of us in terms of efficiency. If we get more efficient, we will hit our uh, uh, a point where 
efficiency and in the increase in it will lead to either sloppy work, mistakes, or regrets. Okay. Uh, beyond that, the other main thing that we're noticing right now is uh, the change in how the cost of business to doing dentistry is. You know, PPOs are great for this. For uh, I say great quote unquote for many dentists because it gives them a feeling of security. Security quote unquote meaning they look around and they see other dentists are doing PPOs and they're doing relatively well. They have maybe a BMW, a Lexus, so that seems quote unquote the way to do business. Okay, and so. I believe that's why many dentists go down this route currently. They don't look around and see many fee-for-service offices, and they just don't know much about it. But the problem right now with PPO is we're being squeezed. We're being squeezed from material costs, my costs. I mean, my gloves cost four times what it did. I used to pay $6 something from Benko. Now it's like $24 for the same gloves. Right. Cost of labor has gone up. Yep. I mean, uh, I have a very stable staff. I pay them well. I pay them with profit share and everything. So they're very happy. Work environment is great. But uh, for dentist offices that don't have that environment, you know, they, they have more turnover. And if they have more turnover, what they're finding right now is the cost of labor is increasing. And if you're contracted with PPO, what happens? You're handcuffed. Right. PPOs aren't really increasing any fees. I look on Dentaltown. I look on Facebook and I don't see people really reporting anything. People right. are the fees are the same or more importantly, they post the letters where their fees are being diminished. So right. what happens? You get squeezed. You have no ability to control your prices, your fees. So what do you do? You either accept making less money or you increase your efficiency capacity somehow to offset it. And, sure. you know, everyone has a, a level of efficiency that, the, that they can readily add. I'm sure the average person can easily add 10 to 15% more efficiency. But compound that over year, over year, over year with decreased fees you're going to run out of the, 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 the leeway to do that. Sure. So I've been a fan of fee-for-service. That's how my practice is. I opened the recession of 2008. I told all my friends. They said it couldn't happen. And I said, watch me make me do it. Okay. Uh, the reason for that is, you know, I was telling you, like, we should think about what we want in our lives. I wanted to do practice dentistry the way that I want to practice. Prior to my job, I worked different jobs. After I got fired from that fee-for-service office, I was like, you know what? I don't know the other styles of practice, so I'm going to try it, even if I don't like it. I worked a very high-volume PPO office where I was triple, double-booked minimum, sometimes triple-booked, and I worked a Medicaid office where I was always triple-booked. I was the fastest provider in the Medicaid office. I made the most production, but I hated it. Three to four months into that job, I said, thanks for the opportunity, but I'm giving my notice. And the doctor owner was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'll give you a raise. I'll give you a big raise. And I'm like, eh, it's not about the money. I, I just, you know what? I thank you for this opportunity, but this is not how I want to practice. Sure. So for me, I like that control. I think that control is important. And going back to the PPO model at the moment, you don't have that control. And Dennis, we are the type of people that we want control, meaning that we do everything systematically every day, step by step. We bond a crown, prep a crown. Uh, bond, inlay, veneer, whatever, we do it the same way. That's what we like. And we like that control. It gives us comfort. I don't know if it's our training or not, but probably it's hammered in our heads. So at this current environment, being in a PPO office, you're just getting squeezed. Your control is diminishing. You either have to reduce your salary, give yourself a pay cut and accept it for potentially indefinitely or the rest of your life, because I don't foresee uh, uh, payments for contracted people going up, or you increase your efficiency, you expand capacity, you add 
uh, mix of services. You have another assistant. You're working out of another room. You're going back and forth. And that's fine. If you're good at it, great. But again, like I was saying, there's a limitation for the average person. Sure. And then if you keep doing that, I think the opportunity for a burnout increases dramatically. You know? Yeah. So let me ask you this question. Um, you know, when I, I work with a good amount of startups and my advice is typically, and it's not always the same because it's what's your goal, right? What is the, what is the outcome you're looking for? My, my typical advice to a startup is do whatever you got to do to get busy, right? Yeah. And then start to, to try to wean things out to the exact patients that you want to see, right? But if you're not, if you're just sitting around twiddling your thumbs and you're losing money, that's not a good thing either, right? So, so get busy. What do you think about that? I mean, if you're a startup, would you try to go fee for service right out of the gate or would you try to get busy? And, and I can be wrong, so yeah. well, you're me. Well, the answer to that question depends on your risk tolerance, okay? Risk tolerance is, uh, you know, some of it is innate. Some of us are risky. Some of us like to gamble on stocks, gamble in Vegas. Some of us like to take the odds, you know? That's the first thing. Second thing is where you are in life, you know? My risk tolerance right now, because I have a family with a daughter and another kid coming on the way, is much more conservative relative to when I was younger. It was myself. I was 28 opening my own practice. I lived in an apartment that cost me, what, $800 a month or something like that. Right. I had my car paid off. For me, the cost of living was very little. I just wanted beer money to hang out with my friends. That was it. So right. for me, the risk at that time was different. I was like, bring it on. I have no fear of this fee-for-service environment. I'm going to do it. I don't even care if there's a recession. And being 28 years old, I was like, I don't even know what really a recession is because I don't have any money or had any money to know what the loss of money was. Right, so, right, yeah. Let's do it. And so yeah. I did. And with anything, you know, I think to be successful with anything, uh, and Dennis can relate to this, for example, dentistry, if you practice a crown prep enough time, 10 years now from 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 your your graduation date, like my crowns now on my Cirac look so smooth compared to my crowns 10 years ago. What I'm saying is the more we practice something, the better we come at it, you know? Or the more knowledge we have of something, the better we come at it. So I'm the type of person that adopts that whenever I want to do something. So for me, it's very important to learn everything that I could. And when I was younger, if I wanted to go down this route, you know, I had to learn. And back then, uh, in the early 2000s, there wasn't courses like they are today. It wasn't readily available relative to today. So what did I do? I read I don't know how many books. Tons of books. I used to, have, I gave them all away to my friends that wanted to learn them, but I used to have this bookshelf full of books of every type of industry that I read. And I read tons of non-dental books and you learned a lot from them. Okay. You yeah. learned what success is or how to achieve it or a commonality among people that seem to be successful. And yeah. so uh, to answer your question, going back to the long-winded, should someone open PPO or fee-for-service? Well, that's relative. You start with your risk tolerance first. Okay. You think about what you want in life. And for myself, if I thought really hard, I couldn't stand write-offs. I can't stand them. I can't look at it and have a 20, 30, 40% write-off of what I do. Honestly, I'm stubborn. I'd rather sit on my butt and do absolutely nothing than get a 40% write-off or anything. So sure. I just knew it. I, can't, I could not practice, and I cannot practice any other way. That was overwhelming for me, even for a risk tolerance. And right. so I went that way. But for someone to open a practice, you have to evaluate your risk tolerance first, you know, uh, if you're buying a practice, sometimes the model is already set. If you're starting a practice, you have the ability to uh, choose it. But in my opinion, if you start, for example, to get busy and you sign up for all these PPOs, that's fine. You'll get into that uh, routine, you get in that lifestyle, uh, the, the how busy you are. But then what I find among dentists 
over the years as this happens is the weaning off becomes really difficult, okay? Why? It comes back to risk tolerance again. Now you're used to an income. You're used to a certain amount per month. Your family, if you have one, has probably expanded or or now there's private school if you want private school or other costs, you know? And so as we progress, as we get older, our risk tolerance kind of, kind of diminishes and changes for most people. And if we're stuck in a routine where we make a certain amount of money, I find among the people that I teach, the nest I teach, a lot of times it's hard for them to get off of it, okay? Mm-hmm. They're scared. They're scared not of the process specifically, but they're scared of what may happen, which obviously is a change in their lifestyle, which may affect their family and spouse. Right. So what I found most with the dentist that I teach, and I've taught a lot of people to get off PPOs into fee-for-service. I mean, that's just not my, you know, that's just something I like to do for those that want to do. But I find that with dentists that are on a bunch of PPO fans and they want to drop, the hardest step is just taking that first step and dropping one insurance. Because most dentists think that, oh my God, if I drop this insurance, I'm going to lose every patient. I'm going to have 100% attrition. My schedule is going to be full of holes. Well, the reality is when you drop an insurance, that occurs to some degree, but usually it's nowhere near as severe as you think. Sure. Once they do that and they have the motivation, they have the confidence, it's easier to do the second, the third, go on. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I'm I'm sure you, you would agree with this, that you can certainly teach your patients to, you can educate them ahead of time before you drop them. You can drop hints, you can make it a process, right? You can put together a webinar and have those patients on or create a video explaining why you're dropping and how that's actually better for them. Right. So there are some ways that you can certainly do that because they they will. And people are shocked when this happens. But most insurance companies are going to email your patients and say, hey, your dentist no longer takes it. Here's this group of other patients. So you got to be perfect. Don't be shocked when that happens. Yeah. You've seen that happen. We know that happens. It's a game the insurance companies play. Yeah, of course. So let me let's talk about how you're helping dentists. Right. So you have this website, Mm -hmm. dentalmaverick.com. Kind of tell me what dentists can find there. How can you help dentists uh, define their, their definition of success for themselves and how, how to get there. Sure. Well, I think most dentists are one-sided with their education. What I mean is many dentists, they think the next clinical CE is the magic bullet that will make them more successful. Now, I, I take a lot of CE. I like CE. Uh, but CE being lopsided and taking purely clinical doesn't mean much if you have all these skills, but you're not well-versed in, for example, talking to your patients, talking to your staff to have them work together. You know like I said, I read so many books and what some of the common uh, themes of success are someone is personable. Someone is a good communicator. Someone is a good manager that becomes eventually a good leader from the establishment of uh, the expectations that they want and holding employees accountable to it. So I found this to be universally true. Uh, I created the Dental Maverick program because I tested it on some of my friends first and I saw uh, my good friends increase their offices dramatically. And I was like, you know what? Someone encouraged me to make a course out of this. So I sat down one day and I wrote everything down. And uh, what I see is, uh, like I said, most dentists, we, I mean, just think about it. If you go to a dental CE or a convention and you meet dentists, uh, I'm going to kind of, you know, not to be negative with someone, but dentists are kind of awkward sometimes. They're kind of nerdy, you know, they want to talk about specific details. They like to know things like that. They don't see the bigger picture a lot of times, okay? What I mean is to be successful requires a lot of non-clinical skills, okay? And I think in dentistry, not many people teach this, okay? Uh, I got a copyright on everything that I I teach, so I know no one really teaches what I teach. And so 
to be successful in dentistry, you have to learn first learn to be a communicator of sorts, okay? And you were saying dentists are introverts. Well, that's true for many of them, okay? But how do we bring comfort to introverts? How do we bring comforts to dentists, okay? Like I was saying, dentists love systems. They love outlines. They love a sequence of events to follow. And so with my training, I adopt that because I'm a dentist. Dentists want principles. They want to know how to do this. They want something to emulate and say exactly. And so we start with... uh, we start by improving your confidence by just learning how to talk to people better. And from there, we go on to really the skills that give you success. Because for a successful office, every successful office has a very successful team that works in tandem with the doctor. Mm-hmm. And to do so, one has to learn how to be a leader. You don't magically become a leader overnight. You have to learn how to properly manage. And so I teach dentists to understand why they need to recognize when management is needed. And it's only a couple of reasons. And for each one of those, I teach them how, what to say, why to say, how to say it. And then over time, like I was saying, the process of management and reinforcing what you want creates you to be seen as a leader. Makes sense to me. I want to I wanna have our audience check out your website one more time, dentalmaverick.com. I want you to go there, um, certainly learn from your successes and, and probably a little bit of uh, some painful stories you haven't shared here too, right? It's a little bit of trial and, and error involved. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I've made some dumb mistakes. But yeah. again, you're you know going to being a dentist and having control, hey, you know what? Sometimes you have to make mistakes. Not that I want any of the dentists taking my course to make mistakes, but I'll readily tell my mistakes that I did in the past. You know, yep. I tried some really dumb things back in the day to see if it was effective, you know? And some of it wasn't, but that's good to know because I honed in on what was important and what was truly effective to create that office. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're sharing that with the dentist out there and helping them. Um, I want to encourage our audience, check out the website, dentalmaverick.com. Dr. Pham, thank you so much for being here. Can I add one more thing? Of course. So there is dentalmaverick.com. But for those that want an in-live CE person event, we have one every year. Uh, this year it's April 22nd to 23rd in Austin, Texas. The website's dentalmaverickSummit.com. Awesome. Dental open, Dental. open bar. Open bar. Yes. Yeah, how can you go wrong? <laughs> how can you go wrong? Dr. Pham, yeah. thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Did you know you can weigh in on today's topic on Facebook? Search The Dental Brief on Facebook or visit our website, dentalbrief.com, and just follow the link. We look forward to having you join us again on another episode of The Dental Brief.